Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. All right, we've been in a series, or a continuing series, and uh, I'm hoping to stretch it over the next uh, summer so that uh, I have the longest going series. And um, uh, this, is the, this is the last armor piece, this last defensive kind of thing. But remember what we said, the armor isn't so we can hunker down and wait it out till Jesus comes. The Romans would put the armor on and they would put their shields up and then, they'd, then, they, and then they would march in, in a tight-knit group in order to advance. So they did it to protect themselves so, they could, uh, so that they could go on the offense. And uh, that's what we're talking about. And uh, today, we're talking about the shield of faith. We're taking up the shield of faith. We took the helmet of salvation last week, even though it's the one that follows, but there was a reason for that, and um, having to do with uh, somebody going through a tough time, and so we just, uh, we, we, we run that one first. So we've discussed the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with peace, helmet of salvation, which is hope, and today, the shield of faith. And I won't quote the entire passage this time. I've done it a couple of weeks now. But it says in verse 16, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which to quench the fiery arrows of the evil one. That's what it says. Now, uh, before, uh, so before we get into it, let's, uh, why don't we just bow for a word of prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And it gives us an opportunity to submit to his word, his eternal word, the one that's given and will never be changed. Father, we thank you uh, that you've given us your eternal written word and penned by the Spirit, uh, pushed by the Spirit through uh, men as they were guided by your Spirit. And uh, we thank you that it's eternal, that it's forever established, it will never be changed. And Jesus said uh, not one jot or tittle would be changed from it. And we thank you that it, that it is that sure and that we can stake our lives, and many of us are staking our lives on it and making decisions based on it and choices based on it. So we praise and thank you for an eternal word like that that is flawless, that is amazing. And we love it. And we love the God behind it. Father, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy Spirit. And uh, we, ask, uh, we, we, we thank you for the camp you've given us and for the changed lives coming out of that. We thank you for the Freedom House and, and the people that are working there and in the camp and the ministry they're doing and throughout this church and the children's ministries and so on and for the powerful impact they're having on uh, the next uh, generations. And uh, Lord, we now submit to you and what you have to say for us this weekend. We choose to lean in and hear what you have to say and to respond in faith and in kind. In Jesus' name, amen. Essentially, this is what the shield of faith is. Now I'll talk about, and then we'll expand on what it's for, but Essentially, this is what it is. It's learning and believing what God has said to you in his written word. And you got, notice the words I'm using, very carefully chosen. I chose the word learning because it's not just believing it because you can say, oh, I believe this, but do you know what's in it that you believe? And believing what God has said to you in his written word. And the second part is hearing and believing what God is saying to you 
through his spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Now, we've often talked about the second one. I want to go, uh, I want to I focus primarily on this first one as it has to do with the uh, shield of faith, though the second one has much to do with the shield of faith as well. We just do not have the time to get there if I'm going to properly expand on the first one. So, uh, I've chosen the first one. So then, what is the shield of faith for? Well, it's to be used for a variety of things, uh, such as to safeguard assurance of salvation, because you see, Satan tries to come. So even if you get saved, then he tries to rob you of that assurance that you are, because in doing that, it stops you. Is that true? true. Yeah, if, you, if you're constantly doubting and wondering, you're not going to move forward. Uh, he's going to hold you captive right there. So you have to have a shield of faith to guard against that. And... Um, uh, to resist temptations, to withstand persecution, to, repeat, uh, to repel false doctrines, to accomplish great exploits. Uh, Hebrews 11, you know that whole chapter there. And to suffer or lose or maybe or e even die for his sake. Now, let's see how it works. <laughs> Obviously, we can't talk about all of these. So I'm going to choose one, just kind of like I did in the other message where, messages where I uh, show what something was for, and we just chose one and expanded that a little bit. We're going to do that right now. Let's choose the false doctrines one, because we don't talk about it directly that much. Uh, and let's, um, uh, though we do indirectly, but let's uh, talk about that one a little bit. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he said, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce, what are they going to introduce? Yeah, you go ahead and you just talk back to me. They're going to introduce what? Yeah, they're going to introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now, what's heresy? Well, it's a doctrinal departure from revealed truth, an erroneous view or doctrines not in line with the accepted teaching of the church. And one way, uh, how are heresies formed? <laughs> Again, we don't have time to expand on this, but they're formed in a variety of ways. Maybe a person takes one verse completely out of Bible context and just blows up and turns it into a doctrine. Often it's, uh, it's when, they, when you have a truth that has two sides to it, and they'll take one side of the truth and they will expand on it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it to the exclusion of the other half of the truth. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, that frequently happens, and that's why it's so deadly, because you look at that and what they're saying... Something in you says, well, yeah, I, 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 I don't think that's quite right, but yeah, what they're saying, that's true. It, I mean, that is what the Bible does say about it. Well, yeah, that's because that part is true. They're just excluding the other side of the coin, and they're not showing the relationship between the two. Okay? So that's another uh, way. There's, a, there's another way that heresies or false doctrines form, and that's by taking a truth that is in Scripture and carrying it further than what it was ever intended to be, what, any, anything that uh, God intended it to be. And we'll see an example of that in a minute. So let me show you who's behind all this. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, 
paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? Oh my goodness. You mean there are things like doctrines of demons? And all the translations use that, uh, use the word doctrine there. In some case they do teaching. In a warning, the Spirit foretold that the demons would promote false doctrines which would cause people to fall away, to be stopped or fall away. That's the whole point of false doctrines and of heresies. Now, the later days, uh, you say, what's that? Well, that obviously includes us, but it was anywhere from uh, Christ's first uh, coming to his second coming, anywhere in there in between, and it includes today. And in verse 3, uh, scripture, um, verse 3 of that uh, same passage, we'll see two examples, because when you like to say, and you say, well, really, uh, do, we, do, we, like, do we have that problem today? Yeah, we have a big problem. By the way, there's a good book I would really encourage you to read. It's called Kidnapped by the Cults, and it's by Eugene Bach, and it's about the church in China and the huge problem they have with um, cults and false teaching, and the reason is because they haven't been able to get their hands on Bibles and proper Bible teaching, and so they can't get the shield of faith up, and that's where de the devil gets them. We'll talk, we'll expand on that in just a minute, but anyway... Here, take a look at the doctrine of demons, that, the two doctrines that he's referring to. In this particular case, if we look, continue in verse 2 and 3, it says they forbid people to marry and they order them to abstain from certain foods. Those are, he's saying those are two doctrines from demons. Now, you look at that. How many times have you read that? And you go... Well, yeah, I guess, it's, I guess it's not great, but it's not that bad. I mean, really? Demonic? Demons behind it? Doctrine of demons? Um, that's a... And, and it, because it just doesn't sound that bad. So let's, un, let's unpack that for just a minute. Why would demons be standing behind something like that? Well, the Gnostics taught... Uh, those were heretics in the past, and by the way, they didn't come with hoodies and blackened eyes. They just looked like you and me. Uh, they taught in the past that all matter is evil and only the spirit is good. Therefore, all physical pleasure is sin. But God clearly established marriage, which is his argument if you continue in, in, chapter, in chapter 4 there. Uh, God established marriage, did he? Yeah. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, I mean, Jesus talked about it, but the writer to the Hebrews says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Marriage is instituted by God. And, um, and those who commend celibacy as more holy or religious are promoting Gnostic heresy, not New Testament teaching. Now, do you remember what I said before? How it's formed? Sometimes it's because it's not both sides of the coin and they don't teach it. Or they take a truth and they take it further than what Scripture said. And now they form something that wasn't intended. Is celibacy, uh, 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 is it sinful? No. In fact, is, can it be a good thing? Was Jesus celibate? Was Paul celibate? And they even, Paul even talked about it. Um, it's, it. That isn't wrong. But when now you take it 
to the next step and forbid marriage. See, they were thinking that the resurrection had already taken place. Maybe, that, that may be. That's what some writers think it might be. Uh, the reason for that coming up. But uh, they forbade it. Now you say, well, okay, come see, come see. Uh, like, okay, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not good because Scripture says that. But how does that turn into something bad? Well, let's take Catholicism, for example. It teaches celibacy for its, its priests, does it? I'm not afraid to say it. That's what they say. It's clear. I, I, I'm not uncovering anything here that's secret. Well, on August the 15th of this month, a grand jury found that internal documents from six Pennsylvania Catholic dioceses show that more than 300 priests have been credibly accused, that's because they read the Catholic internal documents, of sexually abusing more than 1,000 children. Do you, do, do you see the connection? Do you see where this can lead? That's why it's called a doctrine of demons, because the whole point is he's up to something nefarious. He wants to stop you. He wants to take you out. He wants to destroy. The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he comes. And so he'll use a false doctrine, and to you and I, we just look, okay, well, that's, uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's a little off, but no big deal. Huge deal in what his goals are. Do you see? We have to be careful. And that is the point of doctrines of demons or heresies. They're designed to do great damage, destroy children as we saw. They provoke church-supported evil like the Dutch church in apartheid South Africa or the Lutherans in Nazi Germany or how about the uh, American South where many, many of the churches in the South lined up, not all of them obviously, but many lined up behind the whole idea of slavery. And they did it based on things that they found written in Scripture. And they built a false doctrine, and it created this horrendous evil. Do you see that? How important that is? So, um, uh, to induce people to leave the faith, that's another one. To ruin and destroy people, to distract from mission. Yeah, you, you know, he talks in, an, in another part always about endless, you know, these, he said avoid people with these who get into endless genealogies and myths and all this kind of stuff. They're constantly arguing and bickering and fighting over little things. They're distracting you from mission. That's the point. So he uses it for, uh, to do that or to lead to lukewarmness or to incite division. Well... Let's take that last one as an example and talk about that one a little bit, okay? So in chapter 6, Paul said to Timothy, if anyone teaches false doctrines, does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he's conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy and strife and malicious talk and evil suspicions. And by the way, that's not just in the Catholic Church, that's in the Protestant Church. And in independent churches. And as, by the way, is sexual abuse. It's not just there, but you can see where a false doctrine leads it. 
The devil sends a fiery arrow of false doctrine at unsuspecting believers to draw the church into fights and disputes and to bring division. Now, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> when Paul was writing this to Timothy, where was Timothy? I heard somebody give the right answer. He was in Ephesus, and we see that in chapter 1, verse 3. Stay there in Ephesus, so they command certain people or certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. There it is again. It comes up over and over in his letters to Timothy. Where or to whom was the armor passage written to? The church in Ephesus, same place. And so we start to see this correlation here. What Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus has the same tone as the armor passage. Protect yourself and those next to you with right doctrine or faith or the shield of faith. You better, you better know what the truths are and you better believe them and have them on or take it up. Otherwise, you're going to be tripped, and he's going to get you. So first, uh, Timothy 4, Paul said, watch your life and doctrine closely, he said to Paul, uh, or to Timothy, persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. I want to stop on that and park that on that just for a minute. Remember uh, what I said in an aside last week about the, uh, about the shield, because I was talking about how they interrelate, but... The shield was uh, an oblong thing or a rectangular, and it was as high as the, uh, as the, as the soldier. Two-thirds of it covered his body, and one-third covered the next soldier next to him. And that's, so he's saying, if your, if your shield goes down, you go down, and probably the one next to you, the one that you're influencing, could be in your family, could be a friend, could be a colleague, could be anything, they're going down too. But isn't that how it always works? That's exactly how it works. <laughs> and that's uh, what he's saying. So what are some of the false doctrines the devil is using in our day? Well, there's a whole variety of them, but here's some of them that we cycle through here fairly, fairly regularly. And, um, and Pastor Chris uh, talks about them and, and others uh, when, uh, that he asked to speak. Prosperity Gospels, one. He, you know, God doesn't want saints to suffer eternal security. One saved always. You can't fall away. Versus perseverance of the, uh, of, this, uh, of the saints. Cessationism, the gifts of the Spirit and hearing God ceased. Can't hear him. Exaggerated grace. We're sanctified fully at salvation. No repentance and growth and godly character needed. No, there's no judgment coming. No hell. Antinomianism, uh, not, we're not under the law anymore. Universalism, uh, everyone gets to heaven. There's, uh, there's, no, there's no judgment there. And so um, those are some of the ones. Well, we're going to take the first one, okay? So we'll pick up one of them. So, but are you, are you starting to get to the, is it starting to sink into you, the severity of this thing and just how critical this is? These, uh, these aren't just little tiny arrows and you can kind of just at the last second deflect. No, no. You've got to take up your shield, but you're not going to take up the shield in the last second. You go into battle with the shield up. And you never, remember what I said last week, you never take your armor off on this side of heaven. Armor for this side of heaven, 
What's for heaven? I mean, yeah, on, on earth. What's for heaven? Robes. True? <laughs> we don't need the armor there. There we get the robes. So let's uh, talk about this and see how this shield of faith works on this, uh, in, in regards to this whole matter of prosperity. One of the devil's fiery arrows which uh, he fires at unguarded saints is the fiery, especially in the West, although he does it in parts of Africa and stuff too, and Latin America now that I think of it, is the fiery false doctrine arrow of prosperity. Take a verse like Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them out of all their what? Yeah. Now, wouldn't you like to build a doctrine out of that one? How many of you would like to build a doctrine out of that one? Yeah, me too. How many of you memorized that one? Because if you're going to build a doctrine, that's the one you want. And so some have built false doctrines based on such verses. But Jesus said, in this world you will have what? Oh, wait a minute. Two sides of the coin here. Oh, boy. But you see, that's what happens with the false doctrine. They take one side of it only. And then they ignore the rest and don't, uh, don't explain it. No, uh, and uh, notice who promotes the false doctrine. Before we talked about who promotes the false, doctrine, uh, false doctrines, period. But I want you to notice who's promoting the false doctrine of prosperity gospel. It's actually in, uh, Paul talks about it in his letter to Thessalonica. He said, so that no one would be disturbed, and the, re the word is actually deceived by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance over and over and over and over and over that we, that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, and for this reason... When I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you, fired his arrow, and our labor would be in vain. He's saying, see, you got saved, and I, I told you over and over, I warned you, I warned you, I warned you, you're going to be... By the way, and by the way, when Pastor Chris, if he takes some of these truths and he keeps rehashing them and rehashing them over the years, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And you can read them over and over in the different uh, letters that he writes. And that's what he said. I kept telling you over and over because I wanted it to sink in. I wanted you to have your shield of faith up so that when the affliction came, you wouldn't say, oh, God is not good. God does not care. He cannot do anything about it. Therefore, I'm out of here. And that's what the apostle Paul was afraid of. He's afraid they were going to be gone, and he couldn't believe it. He got the report. They had had the shield of faith up. You know why? Because they had learned. They had learned it from him. He had told them. He had proved it to them. And uh, so they had the shield of faith on. I like that. So how, you say, how, well, how does that actually happen in, in this particular doctrine? Well, this is how it works. If the devil through false doctrine convinces us that God wants us to always be healthy and wealthy, then suffering cannot be God's will for us. Is that true? Is my rationale in that true? Huh? So if you believe that, then when you suffer, uh, there's a problem. 
Then when the day of evil comes, and it will surely come to each and every one of us, some earlier than later, you will conclude that God is either unable or unwilling, therefore unloving, to do anything about your troubles, and at that point you become disillusioned with God and you'll leave him. Is that true? It is deadly. That's what, here we are again, shield of faith. And boom, down comes your shield because you, you don't know, you, or you don't even take it up because you don't, you don't believe that. And down you go, and when you go down, down goes the one next to you. Always happens like that. And that's what happened to Job's wife. She didn't have the shield of faith up. Uh, his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. She was gone. She was out of there. Do you see that? She didn't have the shield of faith up, which would have told her that God is good when he gives and when he takes away. Now, why is he good? Because three, three things, very, very simple. Just always keep this in mind. And there may be other things, but this is very easy. God, whatever God does in giving or taking away is always for his glory, always to advance his kingdom, and always for your ultimate good. That means eternal. Always. That's why he's good, whether he gives or takes. And boy, we could, you know, we could preach a series on that. And I have 13 reasons written out why he allows suffering. But there it is in a nutshell. She concluded God wasn't good and cursed him instead. How about Job? He had the shield of faith up. Take a look at his response. He understood. He said, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He knew the truth. He, he learned the truth. He knew it. Uh, that God can give and God can take away and still be a good God because he's always doing it for his glory, always advancing his kingdom, and is always doing it for our ultimate good. True? He understood that. If you don't understand it, your shield, your shield is already down, and you are vulnerable as soon as trouble comes. You've got to get it up, <laughs> Right? So what briefly is the truth about this topic? Well, very, I mean, this is a huge topic, but very briefly, the curse hasn't been reversed yet. Only in paradise will it be said, no longer will there be any curse. The curse placed on this earth will be reversed, but not yet. You still weed your garden and you still have kids in pain. How many of uh, you women, because you got saved, found that uh, then uh, there was no longer any pain uh, when you gave birth. Huh? That's because it isn't reversed yet. And it is still appointed unto man once to die. It's true that on the cross Jesus cried, cried out, it's finished. The purchase of salvation was complete and inaugurated, the now, but the results of salvation were just beginning and aren't fully realized or experienced. Not yet. Is that true? It's true. Uh, Paul said to, to the church in, in Colossae, he said, having canceled a charge of legal indebtedness that stood against us, he, has, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. 
And then he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, um, or he disarmed the, the powers and authorities, making public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. How did he triumph over them? Well, he took away the charge, uh, he dropped the charges of legal indebtedness that stood against us. So the enemy could no longer keep us locked up in judgment. We were free to go if we wanted to. Doesn't mean everybody does, but we were free to go. And not only that, um, because through the resurrection, Jesus overcame the devil's last weapon, which was death, that's his last weapon. It guaranteed that Satan would be overcome and defeated too. I mean, you take out his best weapon, he's defeated. Isn't that how, how warfare works? Take out the weapons, take out the defenses, you lose. And that's what guarantees his loss. The outcome was now assured and the victory in sight. Remember in World War II, the Allies, they, they um, tightened the noose around Hitler. Many of his supporters urged him to stop the war as it was already lost. They said to him, they advised him, they said, we've already lost the war. Now, were they still fighting? Yes or no? Yeah, they were still fighting. But had they lost? Yes, it was inevitable that the loss would, that, that that's where it would come to. Though the Allies also could see victory in sight, it awaited the final consummation. Yet, though all could see it was lost, Hitler fought on. Similarly, the devil, a defeated foe, knows the outcome is now secured, and yet, like Hitler, he fights on and won't be finally stopped until Jesus comes back the second time. Though our victory is secured, we're still fighting. We've got him surrounded at the front lines, and we, but we have to be careful of the fiery arrows that he's still fighting. He's going to lose. He's lost. The war's lost. And it's going to be consummated very soon. But you've got to keep ducking. Amen? Amen? Keep your head about yourself. Keep ducking. He's still around. And he's still not chained up in the abyss. And our commander, Jesus Christ, sends us good combat weaponry to the front, doesn't he? The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the divine power to demolish strongholds. Is that what it says? Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 10. He sends us fantastic, latest, the best armory and weaponry. And he also sends us gifts. Oh, <laughs> gifts of spirit. And he sends us food along the way. You know, joy and peace and hope and all that. And we talk about how you feed on him to get that. And he sends us love letters. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, in his written word, but also he sends them by his spirit. This, his spirit acts like a courier. And uh, in the morning, we soldiers of the cross, we gather together and we say, uh, Lord, do you have something any, any love letters from home? <laughs> and you open it up, and the Holy Spirit has one from the Father who's waiting back at home. Is that true? Oh, my goodness. Yes, it's true. <laughs> and, uh, but it's just a deposit. Ephesians 1, Paul said, the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing 
the inheritance of our, uh, 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 you know, our inheritance, the redemption of those who, be, who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. But these are only encouraging, refreshing deposits and foretastes and promises of what is yet to come. Is that true? This isn't the full meal deal? Like, really? No, no, no. We're really looking forward to, the, to a day when we lay down our weapons. We go home. You get on the trains and we go, you know, we take that train for heaven. And when we get there, we get cleaned up and we dress our wounds. And they're healed up and we get cleaned up and we put on robes and we go for the big celebration of the win. Would you agree? Do you know when the Allies won? The papers around the world were full of front, front pages, completely full, just of pictures of people dancing in the streets. Can you imagine how we'll be dancing in heaven when the, with the final victory? Even those of you that are Mennonites will be doing it. <laughs> you should practice in the closet right now <laughs> so you don't look too out of sorts when you get there. Uh, can you believe it? It's amazing. You can enter Christ's kingdom and enjoy many of its blessings now, but you can't experience all of the blessings all of the time yet. That's coming. That's coming. Here, here's the ne uh, next part. Not only is the curse, uh, the curse hasn't yet been reversed right now. Do you know what we're doing? We're putting on the shield of faith. We're taking up the shield of faith. With this discussion, right this second, we are right now taking up the shield of faith. Because if you understand it and know it and believe it, then Satan's not going to be able to get you when a tough time comes tomorrow. Is that true? Here's the next part. Suffering and loss is also God's plan and will for the Christian. Some say that what happened to Job was all Satan's doing. Well, as far as the initial request is concerned, it is true. But it's not the whole story, for Satan couldn't do anything to Job without God's permission. In verse 12, it says, um, The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. So God permitted it. Who did Job's wife blame? Obviously God, not Satan. She said, curse God and die. Who did Job credit for all his problems? God. He said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? He knew where, uh, who was ultimately uh, in, in charge. And this was done to a blameless and upright man. You say, well, it must mean he did something. No. God said, have you noticed, Satan, how upright and blameless he is? And he, shun, he fears God and shuns evil. Job was suffering precisely because he was blameless and upright. And Hebrews says that God sends the suffering precisely because we are sons and daughters. If, uh, he says in verse 8 of, uh, of chapter 12, I believe it is, he says, if you are not undergoing discipline and everyone undergoes discipline, you are illegitimate children and not true sons. <laughs> it says that he does it because he loves us. You say, how can that be considered love? Well, 
we get to in verse 11, it says, because um, he, he says that it, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's, that's why. And see what Jesus planned for the Apostle Paul. I, uh, uh, Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Not only was it God's plan for Paul, Paul then turned around to the Philippians, or the church at Philippi, and he said, for it has been granted to you not only to believe on his name, but also to suffer for him. Isn't that something? There's two sides of the coin on this issue. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. I'm running ahead. Based on something Jesus said, some teach that if they just had enough faith, they wouldn't have to suffer such things. Jesus uh, turned to the woman, said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did her faith heal her? Yes or no? Yes. yes that's, that's exactly what we read. It did. It's genuine. It's true. Jesus said it. It's in the red, red letters. It must be true. It did. But faith is also needed to glorify God in suffering. Faith isn't just needed for great exploits. Okay, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you like Hebrews 11? Oh my, I'm starting to memorize that one. Oh, is that ever good, you know? He's talking about Abel, and then he talks about Enoch, then he talks about Noah, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he gets to Moses, and so on and so forth. And finally, he, starts to, he, he just starts to rattle off really fast. You know, he starts talking uh, Barak and, 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 and Gideon, and so on and so forth. And it, like, it's just amazing. Did they do great exploits for God by faith, yes or no? Oh, they did. And did it say that they were commended for those great exploits? Yes, it does. It was amazing. That's the favorite part of my chapter, and I, I, uh, I really wanted to cut out the last few verses. Because this is what the last few verses say. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, sodden to, put to death by the sword, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, caves, holes in the ground. They were all commended for their... They did it by faith. What? Seriously, by faith, some were mocked, flogged, chained, imprisoned, tortured, sawn asunder, stoned, killed by the sword? Yes, by faith. They had the shield of faith on, knowing and believing that they were called to this, that God would be glorified and his kingdom would be advanced in suffering as well. Sometimes God is glorified in the great exploits, and sometimes God is glorified when you die. 
Is that true? I'm going to, I want to put a little flesh to Hebrews 11 because it's very easy to kind of just run over that on a sunder and, you know, mocked and flogged and stuff. So I'm going to tell you a story. And it's about Perpetua. That's her name. 22-year-old aristocrat and Felicitas, three men and satirist, a deacon, who were imprisoned in Carthage, North Africa under Emperor Severus launched the first empire-wide persecution in AD 202. Now, Perpetua's father, a respected nobleman, was distressed that his daughter had been arrested and imprisoned as a common criminal, and he pled with her to consider the shame and suffering on her family, but she remained resolute in her commitment to Christ. She would not renounce Christ. When their ex execution day drew near, the six condemned believers met for prayer and communion. More concerned about their worthiness and their loyalty to Christ than about the suffering ahead. Men were tortured for the entertainment of the crowd before their execution as they were mauled by a bear, leopard, and wild boar. Next, left for last, Perpetua and Felicitas, who had given birth to a baby in prison, were stripped naked and sent into the arena to face a mad heifer. The gory torture soon became too much for the crowd, and the people began shouting, Enough! Enough! Perpetua, as she was being dragged to the executioner, called out to grieving Christian friends, and I quote, now listen to this, Give out the word to the brothers and sisters, Stand fast in the faith. Love one another, and don't let suffering become a stumbling block to you. Shield firmly in place. The gladiator's first attempt to behead her wasn't sufficient. Perpetua cried out in pain, then she took the gladiator's trembling hand and directed the sword to her throat, and it was over. And this ended the wave of persecution in Carthage, and the church grew. Many were attracted to Christ by the courage of these six. Even the prison warden turned to Christ and became a martyr for Christ. I want to ask you a question. Did they feel, do you think they felt that God had abandoned them? Yes. No. Do you think that they felt separated from the love of Christ? No. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about that. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he has this triumphant cry. Uh, cry. He says, um, well, in the NASB, I'll, I'll, flip, I'll switch to that because I like the rendering of it. It's a little stronger and clearer. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. All what things? The trouble, the hardship, the persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Through all these, in all these, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Let me ask you, I mean, think about that. Did Perpetua and the other five conquer, yes or no? <laughs> See, boy, did they ever conquer. Did it cost them big time? Yeah. They had to die for God 
to get more glory and to get advance more kingdom, they had to suffer and they had to die. It was a calling. It's really important for us to understand that. Sometimes God calls us to go out by faith to do great exploits for Him. Those are my favorite stories. <laughs> oh, I want to go and do something. We all want it by faith. Listen to what He's saying and then go out and do something by faith. But sometimes he says to us, I want you, I'm calling you to suffer, to lose, and to die for the same results. Some have to win great victories for him. Some have to suffer to win great victories for him uh, or to, to, to gain glory for him. Now, here's the problem. False doctrines. Doctrines of demons have so infiltrated the Christian church in the West, which is so consumed with its materialism, that we believe only half the truth. And we don't realize that when we're being called to, that there is such a thing as being called to suffer, lose, and die. Is that true? Yet Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. He calls us to die to self. This isn't where we get our rewards. Amen? The, 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 the false doctrines that are being promoted out there about how you can have it all now, that is just cheap imitation stuff. That's all it is. It's not the real thing. It's all going to burn up. It is. So, both are for his glory, advancement, and kingdom, and ultimate good. Philippians 1 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by, that means glorified, whether by life or by death. Either way, he calls us. Do you believe that? And are you willing to surrender to both? If you believe that and are willing, then and only then do you have your shield of faith up. And when trouble comes, it's not going to take you and others out with it. Because he's not going to be able to tempt you with his fiery darts that God is not good or that he doesn't care about you or any of those kinds of things. You've got to have your shield of faith up for that. If not, you won't stand firm when trouble comes. How about your health? Some of you go through health issues, or finances, or certain relationships, or you know, even in your family, things that are out of, out of your uh, control. Loss of dear ones, a child. Some of you have lost children, or a spouse, or whatever it is. The example 
of these witnesses, this cloud of witnesses, as Paul calls them in chapter 12, the very next verse, they act as a foil against which we can examine the callings that God brings us to. Maybe we're not going to be the ones dying in an arena. I doubt anybody here is going to. But he still calls us to die to things too and to put things down. I want, to, uh, I want to just show you how this truth is so applicable in so many areas of life. We've got a fall election coming up in October. You said, what on earth would that have to do with anything? Everything. I'm showing you how you can apply it to anything. Um, I want to ask you a question about that. Can Christian candidates be called by God to run as a trustee, a city councillor, a mayor, an RM councillor, a reeve? And the answer is, yes, of course. Is it possible for all of them to have been called to run if there are more Christians called to run than there are positions available? Let me, no, let me tell it again. Suppose that there are, out of all those different kinds of positions, there's six total positions available and 12 Christians who have all taken the Hearing God seminar. <laughs> they can, meaning they can hear God, they practice it regularly, and they all are absolutely certain they've heard from God. Maybe they even all got dreams and visions and 15 confirmations each. Is it possible for there to be 12 like that when there's only, and they all say they've been led by God to run for office when there, if there's only six positions? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now think about what we've just been talking. That means somebody has been called by God to run a good campaign, and run it with, uh, 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 to, to run it with uh, um, proper, you know, in a, in a proper manner, in a becoming manner, not talking negatively and, and tearing down other people and, and, and doing all kinds of nefarious things behind, or things with malice behind the scenes and stuff. They run a wonderful campaign. Their team runs a wonderful campaign. And their voters who are us, you and I, we don't go run, running around and, and saying all kinds of bad things and, and starting to create division and all that kind of stuff. And then they win and they carry out their civic duties for the honor and glory of God. Is that true? The answer is? Yeah, it is. The others may be called for the glory of God as well, and ultimate advancement, to lose. Literally being called to lose. Oh, now he may not tell you that before. You know, you say, oh God, did you call me to lose? I would have never entered. No, that's why he wouldn't, he wouldn't tell you. Because then you wouldn't have. Because, because that, see, that, that's a problem with pride, right? So, he, to you, he, he says, yes, I want you to do it. And now you lose. But he wants you to run your campaign to the glory of God. He wants, he wants your team, and he wants all the voters that, that, that voted for him. And you'll be voting for who knows who, who all. And in the end, 
He wants you to demonstrate how to lose for Jesus. It's a death of sorts. Would you agree? It's a death of sorts. Of course it is. Is it easy? I think it's, <laughs> in many ways, that's, that's a very difficult calling. But don't you think Perpetua's calling was a difficult one? Huh? Which I think it was. Don't you think, verse 35 to 39 of Hebrews, that's a difficult calling? Oh, yes. It's a difficult calling. By the way, I have experienced exactly these kinds of things. I don't have time to go into it, but where God has literally led Fran and I to do something. I mean, clear, clear, clear. And we assumed that meant things were going to go well. And because we followed him, things went down the tube. He sometimes leads you to get on the cross. Is it true? He does. And he does it for his glory, the advancement of the kingdom, and your ultimate good. Always. Because he is a good God. Now you'll sing that song differently. God is so good. Is he good just when he gives you a victory? Or is he good when he asks you to lie down and die? He's always good. Amen? So, how do you take up the, very quickly, how do you take up the shield of faith? I'll skim here. Three things, but it's important. Learn from and follow true teachers. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In 1 Timothy 3, it gives you a whole bunch of different uh, uh, conducts of, of a true teacher, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, not quarrelsome, managing his family well. You have that kind of a lead pastor. Is that true? You can check him out. You can drive over to his house. I mean, you can see the way he lives among you. And if he, if he doesn't act like that, the word gets through the church pretty quick, does it not? So why would you follow somebody that's 10,000 miles away on the internet who you can never see and examine? I'm saying. They're going to lead you into... I'm not saying everybody who's on the internet and te television is like that, okay? But there's a lot of characters out there that are false teachers. They're heretical teachers. And I told you about one last, last week, you know, the demons in the tube. Um, the second thing is, know and submit to the scriptures. Fran's first job was hoeing beets at age 13 or 14. That was her first job, and it was the first time she got fired. Um, and do you know why? And the only time. Uh, she was hoeing the beets, and the, the gentleman who owned it, the field, he came to her and he said, uh, what are you doing? Well, I'm hoeing the weeds. No, he said, you're hoeing the beets out. <laughs> and she said, well, I can't tell the difference. And he said, well, this is how a beet leaf looks, and this is how the weed looks. And so she tried again, and he came back later, and she had hoed the 
the beats out again and he fired her on the spot and she was gone. Now, that's the same thing with this. You have to, you, you can't know false doctrines. You won't know their leaves if you don't know how the truth looks. And that's why I have encouraged you in the last couple of weeks, you know, as Pastor Chris and his team there leading and preaching and stuff, uh, come, uh, come prepared, take some notes, you know, whether it's on a phone or a computer or otherwise, listen to it at, at home again another time or ten times, and, and, and learn the truth, memorize and learn it. And I think they're, like, they're doing some discipling. They started getting into more discipling. If they give you an opportunity, we're doing it in MPL, I'm training all my pastors across Canada and around the world how to, how to disciple their people. If you get that opportunity, you get in and you learn the truth. Not just for the sake of learning more truth, but so that you can put up your shield of faith and stand. Amen? Amen. That's why. Then you, you can move out. Or you do it as you're moving out. That's why Paul said, um, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? And keep away from false teachers. That's what Paul said in, Jesus said, watch out for them, Matthew 7. Paul says in Romans 16, he said, keep away from them. Uh, you say, how do you recognize them? Jesus said, you'll recognize them by the truth. How will you recognize them by the fruit? Very easy. Check their followers. If their followers are cantankerous people and, and people who are ca causing divisions and doing all kinds of stuff, um, all those negative things, then you shouldn't be following them. If, if their followers are exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, you're probably following a good teacher. Is that true? Yeah. And check their home while you're at it. Do they just raise weeds? Or is there some fruit coming out of the ground in their home as well? Amen? And check their teaching. The Brians checked in the book of Acts. They checked. Father, thank you for this time together. We've had a wonderful time together. Thank you for what you're teaching us about the armor. We choose to intentionally engage um, in uh, putting up the shield of faith, knowing your word. Thank you that you've warned us, thank you you've taught us, that you encourage us, and, uh, and you exhort us. And uh, thank you for your word, which is trustworthy in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.